Well, this morning is our last uh, sermon in the next series, Next, Growing a Culture of Discipleship. And we've looked at this definition uh, from these past number of weeks here on the screen and on back through Bolton of, of what discipleship is. Let's pull that up. The discipleship is a lifelong, relational, spirit-empowered pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. So we've, we've just kind of broken down by word and phrase. Uh, the calling of the first disciples. What, what does it mean to be a disciple? To be a, a student, a lifelong student of Jesus, following Jesus. They said, where are you staying, Lord? What, he asked, what do you want? He said, where are you staying, Lord? It's this relational peace. We looked at the story of Nicodemus, who met Jesus late at night. He was a man who committed his entire life into his late adulthood uh, following God, and yet then he had uh, an encounter with the living God, Lord Jesus, and his whole life journey was changed. Relational. We looked at the woman at the well and the relational aspect of discipleship. That's not just a series of, well, memorize these facts, uh, abide by these rules or this doctrine, and then that's what discipleship is. It's a relationship that, that changes us from the inside out. We looked at being spirit-empowered, and we're already deep into the story of Saul, who later becomes Paul. So you can probably hear me flip-flop. His name is Saul. He changed it to Paul, which interestingly means small. So Saul became Paul, which rhymes with small. <laughs> Spirit and power. He was pursuing Christians, but the Lord Jesus was pursuing him. And by his Holy Spirit, he knocked him down on that road to Damascus, and he pulled him uh, towards himself. He blinded him so that he could have spiritual eyes to see who the Lord Jesus is. And then finally, this final phrase, all of this discipleship, all this life that we commit to relationally, the spirit and power, this pursuit, what does it all amount to? It amounts to becoming more like Jesus. That's what it amounts to. As we look at this passage in these early days and weeks of Saul's life, of him being born again as a disciple of Jesus, we see what it means to become more like Jesus. So that's the question that I want to ask today. What does it mean to become more like Jesus? We see in Acts chapter 9 living proof that becoming more like Jesus means that we love God's people, that we testify to Jesus, and that we suffer in Jesus' name. And there, I just gave it away. The students are all riding in the fill in the blanks. Well, there you go. But pay attention for a few minutes. Number one, for starters, becoming more like Jesus, a disciple of Jesus loves. That's the first evidence that someone has truly become a disciple and is growing more like Jesus is the nature of the way we love. You know, the first words that Saul really heard from a Christian, not the words that he turned deaf ear to when men and women were crying for him to, to have mercy to allow him to return to their children. He turned deaf ear to the, those words. But the first words he actually heard from a Christian from the lips of Ananias who said to him, Brother Saul. Call him a brother. That Saul was now part of God's family. That he had received Christ. And then Luke records that the Ananias prayed over him and scales fell off of his eyes and he could see it says that he then baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that he gained strength. He received this incredible degree of love. 
And the next thing we read is, is that Saul spent a few days with the disciples in Damascus. Imagine the conversation at the dinner table. I imagine there wasn't much being said. When they had Saul, the persecutor who came from Jerusalem to round up Christians, and now he's sitting at the dinner table in Damascus. Uh, can you please pass the salt? It'd be a little awkward. But he's right there. Now, now Luke jumps ahead in the story between verses 22 and 23. If you're looking, look, look what he says. He says, quote, after many days had gone by. You see that phrase there? After many days had gone by, and then we jump right into this idea of a plot to kill Saul. Like, how quickly could that have been that, that they could already be plotting to kill him? Well, actually, Luke is editing. He's moving the story ahead. He wants to kind of jump ahead. If we cross-reference scripture, scripture is the best uh, interpreter of scripture. In the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says there to the church in Galatia, he talks about this time. He says, when he was saved to Damascus, soon after that time with the disciples, it says he went to Arabia for three years. Well, Luke cuts that out. He says many days. Well, yeah, many days, three years. He goes to Arabia. And what happened in Arabia is sort of lost to history. We don't know, but we can, we can deduce, can't we? What do you think he was doing there? I imagine he was praying. I imagine he was growing spiritually because I imagine he was getting into God's word. He had just experienced this life-transforming event. He had met for the first time they could see and actually hear that change in other people in Ananias and the other disciples. Three years of study and prayer. I imagine he, he opened their scroll, right? So this is me, scrolls of Torah, and searched God's word. And he saw the Messiah on every page. And it was just coming to him. Oh my goodness, this is the promise, the fulfilled one. Yeshua is the Messiah. Hallelujah! I imagine the question that he posed to Jesus on that road to Damascus lingered in him for three years. Who are you, Lord? And what was Jesus' response? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul, you are persecuting, you are hurting my people. That means you are hurting me. Now, now he was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the promised Messiah. But I believe this was the truth that had to sink deep into his mind and into his heart. And here we see what it truly means to do a 180. A 180 from persecuting and hating the people of God to what? To love. The first evidence that someone is becoming more like Jesus is their love for the people of Jesus. Drop down to verse 26. It says, as soon as he came to Jerusalem, it says he tried to join the disciples. How'd that go? A little awkward. But what I, what I want you to see is that the evidence of becoming more like Jesus is he loved the people of Jesus and he became active in the church. He prioritized Christian community. I imagine those, those first words of Ananias, Brother Saul had a huge impact in Paul's ministry. Remember our series in, in Philippians, how often we came back to that concept of koinonia, a spiritual fellowship and community. 
we experienced that this weekend and mentioned to you, the Pastor Frank mentioned, and I, I think they're probably just wrapping up and on the way back, but David Miles and David Wright and I drove, uh, drove home last night. Over 40 men gathered together, a whole array of men from their early 20s to their early 80s, men that are engineers at Boeing, and men that have been working with the hands all their life, and everything in between. High testosterone. <laughs> high, high testosterone. High cholesterol. <laughs> I'm not sure I can, this cat's, are we recording? I'm not sure this guy pop a button or something so much. Food. But aside from the food and the fun and all of that, it was the fellowship of, of our men. And, and some of you men, I know you couldn't make it, but the men of the church coming together to talk about what does it mean to contend for the faith? What does it mean, as we ended with David's words, what does it mean to put a stake down for our homes, to claim our home, to claim our church, to claim our community for the sake of Christ? It was a beautiful thing. Now, attention, my attention really is on Saul, but who else is in this passage that you read? Who else loves God's people? Barnabas, right? Barnabas the encourager. And he says here how much he loves Saul, this new convert, because he goes about introducing Saul to the leaders in Jerusalem. We don't have to wonder why they were apprehensive, but you have to wonder, what was in it for, for Barnabas? to put himself out there. Here's a man who was a peacemaker. Here's a man who had relational wisdom coming out of his ears. He tells the leaders in Jerusalem, you've got it all wrong. God has done a great work in this man's life. Just imagine having someone else speak on your behalf to show that kind of love. Now Saul, for his part, he could have walked off in the hub baby. said, well, they're not going to accept me. Well, then I'm just going to go plant a church somewhere. Because obviously he's going to be really good at that, right? He sticks it out. He sticks it out. Even though he's getting a cold shoulder, even though he doesn't feel welcomed yet, he knows he's to love these people. And because he sticks it out, and because Barnabas helps, look at verse 28, it says he was freed up to do what? To speak boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus in the streets of Jerusalem. I've been to the streets of Jerusalem. I've been into a synagogue and a mosque. It's not a place that I would feel very comfortable talking about Jesus. And here he is going out boldly talking about the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he had a place to come home. He could come back and get built up and encouraged and patched up and then sent out again. Isn't that the nature of the church? Isn't that what we're supposed to be? Yes. There's a spiritual hunger out there in our community for relationship and for community building. But if all we offer as a church is community building and relationship and social get-togethers and a good time, I'll tell you what, they will find that elsewhere, the people that are searching for true community. But what makes the church the church is that we are Jesus-centered. It's the transforming power of his gospel and his spirit. That's why we're here. And that's what builds true and lasting community. So my friends, I would invite you, as we're heading off with the, the new fall season, and we have two schedules, and 
I know that some of you are going to come to the early service and some at the, at the late, and we have volunteers all over the building helping with our children's ministry. I would encourage you, I'm preaching to the choir right now, prioritize Christian fellowship, sign up for a small group, come to church in the next weeks to come, and tell you we are going to be looking at the vision God has for what he has in store for us as a church. I don't want you to miss it. So what does it mean to become more like Jesus first? A disciple loves the people of Jesus. Certainly we love all, all people, right? But, but the focus here is loving Jesus' people. And secondly, we see that becoming more like Jesus means a disciple testifies. A disciple testifies. It means a, a disciple uh, bears witness to what God's done in our life. John Anderson up at the retreat just said some really wise words. He says, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story that we can share. Here's Saul, a hunter of Christian men and women who's been hunted down. He's been pursued by the Lord Jesus and his life is transformed. And it says that he goes to the, the very synagogue where he's going to round up Christians. That's where he starts his ministry. Can you imagine? Luke says they were astounded by his strong witness. You think? You think? Living proof that he was born again. Look at verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This is before he went off for three years to study. No seminary training. There's, there's nothing but the story of his experience. So I imagine he's just, uh, Jesus is the answer. Probably didn't have any notes to prepare, but just the magnetism of this event that had happened in his life shifted the conversation. And it says in verse 22, the Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. It was a Jesus-centered, cross-centered message. Christianity is a, is a reasoned faith. There are reasoned proofs and empirical evidence of what happened 2,000 years ago. There are answers to the toughest questions that we can offer. And yet there's also mystery. And we are a faith that embraces the mystery of God. We don't shy away from it. Look at verse 29. It says he taught and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. That means Jewish people that spoke, spoke Greek and were deeply influenced by the Greek culture. Uh, the Jewish Christians, the Jews, all spoke Aramaic, but the Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek. And they were, they were down with Greek culture. I mean, they dressed, they, they thought about, their, their entertainment was Greek. And here the Lord God called a man who could speak to both worlds. He got it. He was relevant. He could make it make sense with his story. Teachings of Jesus are not outdated, and they're not irrelevant. I would humbly submit that we have better questions to worldview questions, that we have better answers to worldview questions that are out there, religious or secular, in the marketplace of ideas. Saul testified, he witnessed that Jesus was the Messiah, and imagine this, a man who is hardwired with passion and intellect and ability to argue, and he's probably pretty feisty, he probably has a little pit Pit, pit boy, he gets in there and argues, like, whoa, like, go, he just clamps down. 
And God took all of that passion, all that wiring, and directed it for good. Instead of being someone who used violence and intimidation, he used persuasion to bring people to Christ. It was his love for God. It was his passion for people, not just those who had already accepted Christ, but for his people, the Jewish people. That's what drove him. That's what motivated him to share his testimony. Romans 9, verses 1 to 4. He writes this many, many years later. We don't pick up uh, Paul's story in the book of Acts until Acts chapter 13. That's a decade goes by. Romans written even much later than that. He says this. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? What's, what's going on? For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He loved Christians, but he loved his people, and so he wanted to testify to them, to say that he's saying here, I'm willing to give up my salvation if some of my friends would just say yes to Jesus. It's the nature of our faith. That's why our faith isn't well received, because we're bold enough to say, there is one way. It's Jesus come and hear the way, the truth, and life. Let me share with you how he's changed my life. Our next series is called the More Series. Look at our new logo and the slime below. More God, more love, more life. Our logo is really a, a, a reflection, an homage to our original logo, but we still have the cross of Christ. I see the mountains there. I, I, I imagine someone on a spiritual journey, we come to Christ and we just can go, like have a, a mountaintop experience spiritually, and then what happens? The deep valley below, spiritual growth is like this. I see an M and a B for Maple Valley. That's what, I, that's what I see. But then we have more God, more love, more life. Our next series is going to explain to you what that means, how that's at the very center, the DNA, the core of what we do as a church. And that's why we're selling t-shirts and sweatshirts and hats at, at cost. We're not trying to make a dime on this. But, but we're part of a team, aren't we? We're, we're a church down, but we're a team, right? I understand when the Seahawks season really gets going, 9 o'clock service is going to be full of Seahawks fans, right? I see a lot of, of the colors. Well, I want to see our colors out there. I want to see us representing what God's doing here. Be excited about that. This series will empower you, equip you to know how to answer people's questions. Don Rappel, here's an example. He was flying on business down in Mexico City. He was wearing his, his new MPC t-shirt. And there was a woman sitting behind him who saw uh, the, the Moore logo. And she said, well, that's interesting. Tell me about it. And so he turned and, and shared with her that story. Do we have anyone who has a little toddler? They can wear a, a 3T. Look at this. This is adorable. Come on. Raise your hand if you've got I see a hand right there. Come on now. Let's give her a hand. Look how adorable that is. Look at the back. There you go. Perfect. There's going to be testifying. There's going to be an altar call at the playground. You guys are crazy. 
more like Jesus is their love for Jesus and other people too. It means being a witness testifying to what God has done in your life. And last, not least, and this is hard to hear, but it's the God honest truth. Becoming more like Jesus means a disciple suffers. A disciple suffers for his name. We all need to count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Just as we looked at last week, the, the apostles were, were flogged for their testimony about Jesus, and yet they left joyful that they had the opportunity, the privilege, to be counted among his followers. And here we see what happened to Saul. Verse 23, after that time in Arabia, when he returned, there was a conspiracy to kill him. He secretly needed to be uh, thrown away to escape that suffering. What about the suffering of being rejected by, by the apostles? That he needed Barnabas to speak up for him. That must have been hard. So where, where, where can I go? These people have rejected me, and my people, my new people, don't want me either. He was suffering. Or worse than that, though, is truly, again, these, these in, in, incredible plans to try to assassinate him. We saw at verse 16 that the Lord Jesus said to Ananias, quote, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. A disciple must suffer for Jesus. We have Christian brothers and sisters all around the world that are, are suffering for their faith. There are Christians being thrown into prison. There are Christians being flogged for their faith. Friends, we need to support through prayer and through our financial giving, the mission council of our church. Do you know every every penny, every every check that you put in the offering today is going to go to the, the ministry and mission of the church right here local, right here at the home base. Thank you and amen. But both our deacons and our mission council have to raise all of their funds separately. We need to support financially and make sacrifices to support our missionaries who are around the globe on the front lines. But you know, there is increasingly in our secular culture forms of persecution that we're experiencing. Some of which that we don't even realize, it's like the frog that's put into a, a pot of, of room temperature water and then the heat's turned on. And the frog doesn't realize that the temperature is getting higher and higher and higher to the point where the water is boiling the frog doesn't realize it doesn't ever get out. And I see that the turn in our secular world turning the heat up for Christians that are bold enough to speak and to stand on our principles of Christ. I see that coming our way. And we need to be prepared. And we need to count the cost. And we need to be so bold as to say, thank you, Lord, for counting me and us worthy to suffer for your name here in King County. Acts 14.22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There are many facets to suffering. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 9, we are inflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He lists at least four forms of suffering, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Four different ways of suffering in the there's one thing that's a reality. There is suffering in this world. But in Christ, our suffering can have a purpose. 
Amen? There's purpose behind it. At this weekend retreat, there's a young brother in Christ who's not showing any signs that we've just talked about. No evidence of new life. He doesn't love the men that are up there. He doesn't have a testimony he wants to share. In fact, just the opposite of what he's posting on Facebook. And he's suffering. We're trying to love him. Reach out to him. Wrap our arms around him as a brother in Christ. Because God, we say, will never let you go. How can we let go of anyone? No matter how hard they're hitting on our chest, trying to push us away. No. God will never let you go. We want to love you. We want to suffer with you. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So relationships can be messy and difficult, but that's, that's what it means to be a disciple, to get involved in each other's lives. So my final word, my friends, is this, to, to encourage you, especially now with the two services and falls kicking off, and apparently there's winter blues that are coming. that happen? It's always sunny at Newton Valley Church. I don't know about that, but listen. We need to care for one another. I mean, we really need to care for one another and, and be involved in each other's lives. Verse 31, Luke records, the church throughout the region enjoyed a time of peace and they were strengthened, quote, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged, encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in number. That's exactly where we are today. This is exactly what I've seen happen all summer and now we're entering into the fall. So we need to love, we need to share, we need to come alongside and bear each other's burdens. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would get us ready for what's next, to step up in our faith. For Lord Jesus, you first and foremost, you loved. You loved the unlovable. You loved us. And Lord, you testified for us. You stepped in for us, and you exchanged our record for yours. And Lord Jesus, you suffered. You suffered mightily that we might be the one to you, that we might have the great grace that comes only from you to live a new life. Lord, help us to become more like you. Lord, to be men and women, the vessels of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.